Welcome back to the Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. I'm Curtis Armande. Call me live in the studio at 773-591-1690. That's 773-591-1690. Be sure to follow me on all social media. That's Facebook, Curtis Armande. Uh, IG on Instagram, that's C Monday. Be sure to call the Curtis Armande Insurance Agency at 708-647-1005 for all your free uh, and insurance and financial review to get you, make sure you get your financial house in order. Uh, and so I am eager to speak with you. You know, this has been a last, uh, been a very interesting last couple of weeks here in the world around us with the George Floyd murder and COVID and has really forced us as a community to try to uh, get our collective house in order. Uh, probably long overdue, to be honest, if we're open, if we're honest with each other. But these uh, both events uh, have kind of, you know, shown a spotlight uh, on what's kind of going on with us in respect to our communities and, and getting us on the on the right path. Uh, inherent ends that in that process is always the financial economic piece. It makes us, you know, wonder or try to figure out how do we begin to level the playing field in respect to our finances and felt and in respect to wealth building in respect to leaving a financial legacy um, to our loved ones and building money or circulating that dollar within our community. Uh, as a business owner, having access to capital is a huge deal to me. Uh, and at times, as a small business owner, I've had difficulties with the larger banks because they're, uh, they're not the proper audience for an entrepreneur like myself. And so mid-sized to smaller banks, community banks, community credit unions have always been, uh, in my opinion, uh, a safe haven for the the small man, the small African American business owner, the small minority business owner, who's looking to to, to do stuff. Um, as I got ready for my uh, my guest, I did some little research and was fascinated by what I found out about the black banks, or the status of black banks here in the United States. I didn't know, uh, but I discovered in my research that Jesse Binger, uh, born April tenth, eighteen sixty five, and um, passed away in June thir- on June 13, 1950. He was a prominent uh, African-American uh, banker. In fact, he had the first uh, black-owned bank here in And so was able to do that in a time where racism was prominent and a time where uh, we didn't have a whole lot of opportunity. And so he founded the first privately-owned African-American bank in Chicago. He was a notable pioneer uh, of African-American business in the early 20th century. And, and he came to Chicago in the 1890s with $10 in his pocket and was able to kind of get things started. So that entrepreneurial spirit was was high back then and was able to break through, and I, I feel like that can still happen today. Helping me to talk about this conversation, or to, to talk about the status of black banks and an initiative he's kind of spearheaded is my guest. He's um, the co-founder of Ronald Smith Enterprises, LLC, which is an investment holding company. Is affectionately known as Dion to all those that know know him. Uh, he's a child wealth welfare advocate for a private agency contracted with the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, where he recruits, trains, monitors, and develops foster parents to provide safe and loving homes for abused children. He's also a retired sergeant from the village of Calumet Park, having served almost 25 years uh, in law enforcement. He's also a man of the greatest fraternity that ever existed, Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. I want to say good morning to Mr. Ronald A. Smith. Good morning to you, Dion. How you doing, bro? Good morning, my brother. How are you today? I can't complain. Thank you for 
uh, being my guest, and I'm eager to to learn more about uh, what you guys are doing. Um, tell our listening audience, I, I really want to know, what really spearheaded and what was the motivation for you and, and your business partner, uh, friend, uh, spearheading this $50 billion challenge uh, that you guys set out? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the $50 million is just a small base and a small segment of what African-Americans and black people in the United States of, of America control. We control about or have a spending power of like $1.3 trillion. That's trillion with a T, dollars, in spending power uh, within the United States of America. Yet our banks and the lack of the banking systems we have that's owned and operated by African-Americans have a capitalization of less than $8 billion in itself. So I saw that as a problem, and I spoke to Deborah about it. And we've been doing black-oriented stuff for almost 25 years together on a smaller scale. And I've helped individuals individually, and everyone always asks me, hey, you should make this bigger than what it is, because what you just told me I've never heard before, I've never known about, and you have to speak more broadly about it. Sure, sure. Now, there's a precedent for this type of initiative. A couple of years ago, uh, there was an initiative called the uh, Bank Black USA, and they launched yeah. a movie calling for, but I think some $500 million they were trying to get deposited into black institutions. And, and then, you know, by all accounts, they had some success. They got some $50 million uh, deposited within black institutions within a six-month time frame, uh, and that's according to the FDIC. Uh, but what what... What I know, Dion, when we look at this, African-Americans, we are still more likely to be declined for a mortgage. We're still more likely to be declined for small business loans and compared to whites. Many blacks are still unbanked. We still uh, rely heavily on check cash in places and predatory payday loan places, et cetera. Why do you yes, think sir. that with all those things happening, in your opinion, why, why do you think a black, black, black bank still suffers so much? Because it just seems like the environment is ripe for us to be full, fully supportive of them. Well, I supported that initiative in 2016, headed by Killer Mike down in Atlanta. And he wanted to go all over the world with the black banks that covers from California to New York. But although he started there at Atlanta at Citizens Trust, one of the problems that we have here is, and all over, is the lack of knowledge of knowing that there are black-owned and operated banks. That's sure. for one. Um, the last week when we had the initiative here in Chicago at GN Bank, a lot of people that lived here, it was a couple that lived around the corner that came up and said, I didn't know this was a black-owned bank. So that's where we should start it, is just getting it out there that there are black-owned banks and that there are viable institutions, just like our major banks, or Chase, Citibank, PNC and Bank of America. Sure, sure. Now, earlier in my professional career as an entrepreneur, um, Seaway Bank was the place that I was able to, to to get an audience to help me to get establish a line of credit and things of that nature. Seaway um, is going through some changes now, and, and and it doesn't exist like it used to back in the day uh, when when I first met them. What is happening? Um, with our black banks in, in your estimation? I mean, again, marketing and being able to get the word out that, that they exist is one thing. What do you, are there any other systemic issues that you see that, that exist that's impacting their ability to be an institution, a viable institution for us? 
Well, in my, I can only estimate in my opinion, and one of my opinions is that it's a cultural legacy that's been left behind. Though Seaway Bank is no longer black-owned and operated, um, but there's still the people who started off at Seaway Bank in the 60s and 70s and the 80s and made it a viable institution, didn't reach back their hands to their children and therefore their children's children to continue that legacy to go on. And one of the very first things that we have to have in our mindset is generational blanking, banking black. Sure, sure. Now, GM Bank was formerly known as Illinois, correct me, help me with it. It's Illinois, Illinois Service Federal. Illinois Service Federal. And it's located where? On 4619 South King Drive in Chicago. Okay. And so you guys called the action was trying to get consumers to do what? Break down what the call to action includes. What, we, what are we asking the community to do? Well, one of the very first things we ask is for every black child to have an account in a black bank. That's the number one thing. If we don't start them off young, then they'll never grow into knowing that these institutions are viable entities for us to bank in and for us to promote. Um, The second thing is to have emergency savings funds through our black-owned banks. A lot of people have, like I said before, they have a cultural bias within ourselves about banking black having a uh, negative stigmatism. So I'm asking people, you can keep your Chase bank accounts, your PNC, and whatever you have, but put your emergency savings off to the side of the black bank because the emergency savings you don't want to touch anyway. Right. Um, the third thing is for if you're a black business and you have a predominantly black black consumer base, well, I think it would be oxymoronic for you not to also patronize black banks if you're a black business. Sure. And sure. and the very and the last thing is that you're a, you're a black elected elected official, a black church or a religious organization or a community based organization who has a black constituency, or you have a predominantly black base that you should also support black banks in that um, this issue with us having building our own communities. And I think building up a strong community within us, uh, ourselves starts with banking. Absolutely. I mean, it, Deanna, it, it just makes sense. You know, it, it, this is, this one is not right here. It's not rocket science. You know, we need no. to have these institutions that, will be the cornerstones to be able to help protect our best interests. And as we try to reclaim back our communities and, and grow it and, and, you know, be able to thrive in this hopefully soon a post COVID and by COVID-19 environment that we're going to, that, that the banks are going to play a huge role in that. I, I can tell you also though, as an entrepreneur, having access again, and, and you know, this having access to have an audience with the institution that can help you, um, get capital to hire people to market, to expand your operations is, uh, is critical. And you see it in the white communities a lot. Like, you know, I have colleagues who, who are, you know, Caucasian and, and, and they refer me to their, uh, entities who help them with their financing and growth. And what I'm amazed at Dion is not the bank of America's that they, that they introduced me to or, or the, or the, the, the city banks. It's the, it's, it's what would be comparable to what we're talking about with GN, right? It'd be the, the smaller community base. The and, smaller yeah. yeah. And you get an audience, you know, what are you trying to do? Well, I'm trying to buy some real estate. Okay. Well, tell me what you got. Oh, okay, cool. Well, here's a line of credit for a hundred thousand. Go ahead. Come back. Talk to it. I'm like, okay, we need that exact same thing within our community. Exactly. DI. And what I keep telling everyone to have that opportunity, as you just, I look, when we, spoke of is that we have to put capital inside the bank. 
Yeah. It's like a, a bank having $5 and the federal banking guidelines say they have to put two up as reserves. I'm just giving an example. So they have $3 left over. They lift out two of those $3 left over and they have a dollar left. I come in there and ask for 50 cents and they say, well, I can't give you 50 cents. I can give you a nickel right. because I only have a dollar to live out and lend and there's 20 people trying to get this dollar. Right. And so we have to understand that's the difference of we have twenty five dollars in that same bank. They put up five as reserves. They lent out ten and they have ten dollars left over to everyone else. And I come in and say, I need 50 cents. And they say, OK, sure, because they have enough capital in the bank to loan me that 50 cents that I asked for uh, as a, a compared to the five dollars um, I said in the first example. Yeah, makes makes total sense. Makes total sense. For our listener audience who might have missed it, give us tell us again the 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 name of the institution, what you're asking, and where can they where can they go? Well, there's we're asking for everyone all over the country, but especially here in Chicago, there are two black owned and operated banks. There's one on GN Bank, forty six sixteen South King Drive on the south side of Chicago, and then there is Liberty Bank. It's located on Roosevelt Road in Forest Park, Illinois, and also the 2600 block in North Milwaukee in Chicago. So those are the only black-owned and operated institutions that we have, and I'm asking people to patronize these banks. Just to open up an account for your children, a passbook savings account, which is only $25, and that way we can start this generational banking and starting off to our children as their you know, toddlers, newborns, and younger. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And, Dion, if people have more questions for you, where can you be reached? I can be reached at area code 773-675-0795. I want to say thank you again to my guest this morning, Mr. Ronald D.A. Smith, Jr., co-founder of Ronald Smith Enterprises, LLC. Peace and health to you and your you and your family, bro. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, too. Thanks All for right. having me. All right, Tim. Great, great information. Again, I mean, it's again, not rocket science. I mean, we have these institutions. We need to protect them. We need to make sure that, um, that they're there for us. And in that example I gave, um, speaking of Mr. Binga, who started the first, uh, and I hope I, I pray to God I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but the first gentleman who, uh, opened up the first black owned bank in Chicago, um, he was able to do it with a lot of support, uh, from the community. We need that same support. And again, it's like a one hand washes the other type scenario. The institutions need uh, deposits to be able to have the necessary capital. And then in turn, uh, what we are hoping for, like a, a business owner like myself, is an opportunity to be able to get funding uh, for sound, uh, well thought out, comprehensive business opportunities to help us grow. So uh, I'm open to the, the conversation. I'm open to being a part of the uh, of the growth uh, of these institutions. If you haven't seen this, it's a good movie. Uh, my, my good friends, uh, Darius and, uh, John, uh, told me to, uh, watch the movie called The Banker. Uh, I got all these streaming, all these different streaming services, man. I got too many streaming services from, yeah, Netflix to uh, Disney to Amazon Prime, et cetera. And then they convinced me to get one more with Apple TV. But I was glad that I did it because I was able to watch the movie The Banker with Samuel L. Jackson. And I, f I forgot the other brother who plays uh, uh, in the Marvel movies. But uh, true story, uh, two African-Americans um, bought a bank. 
uh, and started doing lending. Uh, and so, you know, it was, was well, a well produced movie and uh, really struck home with me because I have a lot of interest in real estate and financial services, et cetera. So if you hadn't seen it. I encourage you to check it out. I want to take a quick break when we come back, getting into some more about, uh, consumer behavior, uh, and how COVID-19 has put a total monkey wrench <laughs> and what we thought we knew about consumers. You're listening to Curtis R. Monday here on the Urban Business Roundtable. Welcome back to the Urban Business Roundtable. I'm your host, Curtis R. Monday. Call me live in the studio at 773-591-1690. That's 773-591-1690. Call my office at 708-647-1005 to schedule your free insurance and financial reassessment. That's 708-647-1005 for your free insurance and financial reassessment. Uh, my next guest is a serial entrepreneur and the CEO of Ahava Digital, which provides businesses and investors with ethical, uh, ethically sourced, verified data about American consumers. Her background includes roles in finance at TD Canada Trust, Canon, Brookfield LePage, Johnson Controls, along with management consulting and a broad range of functions such as supply chain operations, data analysis, and strategic thinking. She is a doctorate in metaphysical sciences with a specialization in conscious business ethics, which means she's highly intelligent. I want to say good morning to Ms. Janae Avenstrauss. Good morning to you, Janae. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm, I'm thankful that uh, we have you as a guest this morning, and hopefully as we talk that you and your family are both healthy and safe. Yes, we are. You know, with everything that's going on with COVID, um, one of the things that, that's really been fascinating is the rapid pace of change, the rapid pace of how things one minute are totally different the next. You know, I almost got to a point where I did get to a point where I had to really turn off the news because I would get information about one thing at 9 a.m. and by 6 p.m. at night, it was something totally new, which is overload. And so I got to, the, the flip side of that, or in addition to that, is that consumers have really been changing also, and businesses have been impacted by this. I want you to help our listening audience uh, uh, dissect this. What changes in consumer habits do you think are going to have the most lasting impact on businesses and investors? Well, social distancing is probably one of the key places that I would share is going to have a lasting impact. The majority of the country and the majority of the world is still afraid uh, about contracting COVID. And since there's no cure, there's no reassurance. And then also the other part is too, they're not being fully transparent about how the after effects or the adverse effects after around COVID. So on what it does to the human body. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the biggest places. Um, I think some of the, the type of sectors that will probably take the longest to recover will be the travel and hospitality sector for sure. But we've definitely seen um, in other sectors such as um Food, um, online, e-com sales have skyrocketed, right? Because more people are forced to eat at home. They're not seeking to eat out more. Um, and I think that, um, and then also on top of that, you know, you, you're having people that when you were talking about change, everything's changing day to day. It is really a day to day. And I think that we want things to go back to normal. But the reality is, is that it's, we're living in a new world. Absolutely. It's going, yeah. 
Yeah, no, you, you hit it around the head. I mean, when I think about that question, I, I put my, uh, I'm a small business owner, so I put my small business owner hat on. I literally have been out of my office since March 16th, and we've been working remotely with laptops and utilizing technology to run my insurance agency for the last couple of months. And as I look at this, you know, out, outside of me being anal, the, the reality of it is that we're still pretty efficient. And so now it makes me re, it makes me reevaluate my business model in terms of do I really need storefront space, right? Why not just you know downsize my storefront space and get me one of the shared office spaces? Uh, essentially, all I need is one person there. If I get a warm body, but I can have a team of individuals with laptops all around the the, the city. So I I I see it, and and I and I, I think that what you're going to find is that businesses will start to reevaluate internally you know what their business model is and start to make some changes because they have they've had to as a result of covid what are your thoughts well no and you're 100 percent right um i know that years ago like our organization's virtual and then we have office space because we have a partnership with regis globally but you know we had even many entrepreneurs are like no you should probably invest in office spaces well guess who's laughing now Right. Um, the reality is, is that most corporations, we've seen Twitter, who has come out and said their CEO said that he doesn't even plan on having, he doesn't even care if his employees come back to work in the office. And then Google isn't even sending back their staff until next year. And then it's still based at their leisure. One of the things that people need to realize is that for people like myself who've had an extensive career corporately, one of the reasons why I started my company virtually was due to this is that productivity in people that work remotely is much higher than people that go into the office. The primary reason being is that they have better life balance working from home. They, if you're having an off day, do you really want to sit in the, the car for an hour or so to commute? The average commute time is an hour to and from the office for most people. So now you're diminishing that. You're also diminishing stress and um amongst a lot of um, people as well, right? Because they're not doing the commute. They're not rushing to come home. And then they can kind of balance things around their workday. You know, more employers are, um, I think, like the bigger companies are more of the ones that are concerned because they really did not heed to the advice that was given by their advisors to start putting some of these contingencies in place. Yeah, yeah. I I, I think what COVID-19 has really done to um, a lot of businesses, again, it's making you look at your business model. It's also exposed the the inefficiencies you have in your model. If you're a restaurant, uh, you're probably kicking yourself if you never created an online extension of of, of your business. I always think about these commercial uh, businesses in downtown Chicago, Janae, for example, who um, like the restaurants whose businesses are predicated upon the lunchtime crowd who comes down, you know, from the upper floors and down and, mm-hmm. and, and patronizes the, the local business. And I'm always um, saddened by the thought that I'm, I'm like, what the hell are they doing now? You know, and, and, and what are they going to do going forward? Because I don't know exactly what the future looks like from an, from an investment standpoint, though, you know, and I, and I do some investing on a, on a, you know, more of a, a personal level. I, I tend to look at or enticed by companies who are innovative, who are, doing things that 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 kind of support what we're doing right now and respect the social distancing you know like and and look to businesses that can thrive right along with what's going on with covid um <clears throat> but i also think though you mentioned the the leisure comp the the, the leisure um industry in terms of tra- I mean, hospitality rather i actually feel like that's gonna once we get 
a vaccine, once we get back to some level of normalcy in respect to that, I actually think that that industry will make a rebound because people are tired of being in the, <laughs> people are tired of being in the house. I got an 18 month old, so I I, I can kind of concur with 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 that feeling, Janae. Yeah, and and it's it really comes back to um, what you what you mentioned there um, at the beginning of your phrase when you were talking about um, um, investing. It's about businesses that are innovative. Like, look, Starbucks is is downsizing over two hundred business uh, two hundred of its locations, right? And Canada was one of the places that they did downsize. Our head office is in in Canada, but. If you really think about it, the companies that have sustainability um, moving forward are the ones that had the option for when you're talking about hospitality. They had either delivery. So that's why fast fast food didn't really care because the majority of them, they don't care if somebody comes in because people can go through the drive-thru. Right. But um, if you didn't have a drive-thru option, guess what? You were impacted by that. Um, and I think Starbucks definitely saw some of the ramifications of that because they're more of a sit-in. And I think what pe- businesses now need to do is to be innovative, but also look long and far. We don't know if there's going to another be another second outbreak that we're all going to have to go back into seclusion. That's still something that's very much permeating around media. So I think it's just for businesses to start looking at their business model especially like brick and mortar businesses, if you can be remote, remote, then try to do things remote. If you're not online, get online immediately. Like if I share with people, like we've been so busy due to the fact that e-com sales are just skyrocketing. You know, it was a great time for somebody to start a business if they wanted to in e-com because you had the attention of the entire world. And so I, I think that businesses have to just keep up with the times and, and start implementing whether that be financial contingencies within their organization to ensure that they can weather a storm. But there's also a myriad of companies that just didn't even make it through the storm because they just did not have contingency or a business model that was adaptable to the times. Are there any changes in consumer behavior that you find uh, the most interesting uh, or surprising? Um. I wouldn't share, I, I will share this. Um, I, I really, I wouldn't say that I found it surprising. Um, I think that there's just been a lot of social situations that kind of have disrupted their narrative. So if I didn't, if I found anything surprising, it was probably just due to what's happening in America right now with the protests and seeing a lot of businesses reaching out and supporting um the movement, right? And so you're seeing some businesses and then also the focal point being on Black-owned businesses and people showing up to support those. And I hope that's not a temporary um, thing. I hope it's a long-term initiative. And I hope more and more people realize the value of the Black dollar and realize that it's a a Black business. And I hope that they keep in in support. So I think that's the one part that I did find um, um. a little bit like, hey, that's interesting. There's kind of a blend of commerce and social. Um, there now that happens, like that happens traditionally. But I just didn't realize that they they found a way to really utilize it with this um, mm. with what's happening now. Yeah, good point. What should businesses do? Uh, what should businesses be doing to make sure that they have the, the the most current, the best data on what consumers are thinking? 
Um, well, the best data, you definitely want to have verified data. And just due to keeping up with, like, uh, privacy policies in the United States, ethical data seems to be the way that the industry is going. Nobody wants to scratch and scrape data that they can, that um, where it infringes on people's privacy anymore. And so when we talk about ethical data, that means that it's sourced from face-to-face interaction with American consumers. And um, I think that's the big part, too, um, is start listening to your clients. Start listening to your clients, your the people that um your audience, and start listening to what they're really saying, and directly target them with new products, and start diversifying your products as well. Sure, sure. You know, in, in recent weeks, some companies that we're all familiar familiar with, some companies that have been like staples uh, of of our lives forever, uh, have recently filed bankruptcy. Companies like J.C. Penney and Hertz, mm-hmm. uh, to name a couple. Their troubles, I want to get your opinion, their troubles, are they caused by their failure to adapt to changing changing consumer habits or is there something else that's unique to those two companies? I wouldn't say with JCPenney already had problems. And I think that's the part that a lot of people did not realize. JCPenney had a multitude of problems. So obviously COVID landing was like the final nail in the coffin. And then with Hertz, Hertz, organizations like that were going to be impacted by COVID because how do you even, you can't really do anything. There's an online presence. They already have an online presence. But if people are not willing, are not available to rent the vehicles and drop off the vehicles and pick up the vehicles. So maybe one of the things that they could look at is more of like the, um, is more of like the, the, the chain management of how people receive their product. And and so maybe I wasn't shocked by them, but it was more of I could understand that. Yeah. J.C. Penney and um, like we saw Neiman Marcus, right? Some of those brands they're already online, but where I think one of their faultiness is not just like what was happening behind the scenes, but also coming back to listening to your audience and staying current with the times. You know, people want relevant products. What makes you any different than? You know, somebody like J.C. Penney is a perfect example. What makes you different than a, a Dillard's or a multitude of other types of, of stores, right? Neiman Marcus was probably the one that did shock me just because they're, they're a little bit more boutique. And so they're not offering everything that else that someone has. But I can understand that because with all of the unemployment that's now taking place in the United States, no one, people are not, even if you have disposable income, nobody's really looking to, to spend it. So yeah. I understand that they're looking on how they can manage, um, they can conserve their money just because they don't know there's so much uncertainty. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Hertz makes total sense that they're having some troubles because people are, are, are sheltering in place and staying home, not traveling as much, et cetera. It just kind of makes sense. And so maybe they can weather the storm. I think JCPenney just has a marketing identity issue. You got a marketing identity problem, and, and they, there are so many other options out there. You mentioned the online presence or lack thereof for them. They just have a, you know, a, a tough competition uh, kind of going forward. And you're right. You know, people are really scared about the uncertainty that's out there. That's why you see consumer savings uh, has increased some 33% uh, since this, uh, this pandemic has hit because we just don't know about what the future may hold. Uh, and so uh, I thank you again for sharing some time with us. If, if our listening audience wants to know more about you and your work and, where, and your company, where can they find you? Um, they can definitely find me at ihaveadigital.com. Um, and, yeah, that's where they can find us. <laughs> I want to say again to Ms. Uh, Janae Evan, Evanentros. Did I say it correctly? I know I'm butchering yeah. it. 
Janae Ivanstrauss. Janae Ivanstrauss, CEO. Ivanstrauss. Uh, mm-hmm. CEO uh, Ahava Digital. Thank you very much, ma'am. I appreciate you. Safe and uh, and, and safe and uh, healthiness to you and your family. Thank you. All Bye. right. Bye bye. Great guest, great information. I appreciate her being a good sport with me, really, really butchering uh, her, her name, but phenomenal information and talking about consumer behavior and how it impacts businesses and small businesses. Uh, we we also have to take notice, and we have to be nimble, and we have to make sure that we can go ahead and make those changes. I see an abundance of small businesses, especially my restaurants, uh, creating outdoor um Options. I know in, in my strip mall in Hazelcrest, you got Flavor uh, Brunch, black-owned business, and they do a, a great job with their food. Uh, they've built a canopy on the side of their uh, business where they can be able to allow outdoor dining to uh, uh, occur. And so, again, um, it's an interesting time. I know even in my own business, we are scheduled to reopen on Monday with limited access in respect to um, – Team I mean, uh, to, and policyholders or visitors, uh, but you know, again, I may very well wake up, you know, uh, Monday morning and say no, because uh, I'm still very much uh, on the fence about things because we've been doing a, a solid job uh, with working uh, remotely. But uh, yeah, I'm just on the fence. I'm I'm really concerned about my, my team and their well-being and, and their healthiness. And so um, there you have it. I want to give you guys a sneak preview, though. Uh, I just recently finished my first book. Uh, called The Game, How to Become a Successful Real Estate Investor. Uh, it will be available uh, in July, and we'll talk more about that on the Urban Business Roundtable and also on C-Flips, He-Flips, whether it be available to you guys. Really a labor of love. It's been a lifelong project, a goal of mine to, 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 to author a book, and I'm happy that it's able to come out at a time like this to be able to give individuals a, a blueprint, so to speak, to be able to get involved in, uh, in real estate investing, but not just instead of not just real estate investing, but also more importantly to to help them um, revitalize our communities, to help build wealth and transfer wealth from one generation to the next. So it'll be available in July. You'll hear more about it. I hope you uh, enjoy it and be able to support the project. And got some other things coming down the pipe. Uh, thank you again for your patience today. It's been a hell of a day. Technology always is challenging at times, but thanks again to Sonya Levon, the producer of the Urban Business Roundtable, and Mighty Titus on the ones and twos. We appreciate you. Keep it locked here on WVON all day for the best in programming and to get your mind right about what's going on in the world around us and the community around us. I got to get out of here. I don't do this for my last name. I don't do this for my first name. I do this for my last name. So Chance Jordan, Daddy loves you. Say what you want to about me, but I always know I did it my way. God bless.